Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. Here, this is the spot. Where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Welcome home, Brains. There's only one requirement to hang out on the edge, is that you open your big brain and close your small mind. Did you bring your thinking caps? It's time to put them on, because the conversation starts all the experience I've had in helping people recover from trauma, like in prison and in refugee camps and psych wards. And... <laughs> wow. wow, you've done the most. All right, here we go. Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. This is your favorite spot. Yes, the podcast that does the most. The place where the conversation is appointed and the guests are sharp. The responses are never dull. Today, we're going to Australia again. Yes, I like it down there. I ought to buy a place. <laughs> <laughs> we have Grace Reynolds. Grace is a school chaplain. She helps people recover from trauma brains. She is the founder of Neuro Coaching International. She's going to answer some very, very important questions that I'm sure that all of us have asked ourselves when we're trying to become. What is the art of becoming? You know, personal strength relationships with others, new possibilities, appreciation for life, and spiritual and existential change. All of these things are key components and recipes for success in your becoming. But what are we becoming? Or what are we, you know, awakening to, um, want to recover from, or maybe forecast our future? So we're going to talk to Grace about that and a whole lot more. Welcome, Grace. Good morning. Welcome to you too. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. You're I'm looking welcome. forward to sharing and helping all your brains. <laughs> I know, because I'm telling you, we all need some help. And Grace is the perfect name for you. Oh, thank you. You know, that is. So thank tell you. us a little bit about you, Precious, and how you show up in the world. Um, I'm someone who suffered a lot of trauma, um, both existentially as well as my own personal journey in the world. And um, I, I just spent my life trying to find results for my working career, results for my family, results for my home. You know, you're always looking for wins. And I seem to never get there. So I put myself on this trajectory of learning some new neuroscience with our brain networks. And since I found that, I found that I can show up in the world for who I am, not who I've been or what's happened to me in the past. Share with us a little bit about, you know, as much as you want, about some of the trauma that you've had to overcome. Mm. I was uh, sexually abused from the early age of three. Um, and then, uh, 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 actually, I'll just skip back a little bit. I was given away at birth. My mum had lots of babies and some of us were given away. Some of us were put in homes. Some of us were, you know, we were all around the place. So I was given away at birth and I had three mums by the time I was 11 months old. And then I was advertised in the paper to give away. Um, it's a horrible thing to think about. Um, and I developed 
as I understand now, a need for affection and attraction that people thought I was worth something or that I was worth loving. Um, my foster mother had this view that I should always know my real mother, but my real mother didn't want me. So I would get bundled off to my real mother. And then while I was there for the weekend, not fed, not looked after because you're with a foster home, you're evil. So I grew up with the notion of being evil. And then when I was at the age of nine years old, I still have this vision of my foster mother turning. I, she would lock the door. My great uncle would come and she would lock the door at night. And I, I went to her one day and I said, Mum, can you please stop him from coming in at night? Can you please stop locking the door? And she actually said to me, I can't. If I don't let him love you the way he wants to, then no one, you're so evil, no one will want to love you. And so I grew up with that connotation that, oh, I'm evil, and that's why people are allowed to abuse me. So that went on. I had a, um, a foster father, uncle relationship with a family friend, uh, and, then be, and then nearly became adopted by him, unfortunately. So that was like 15 years of pedophilia, and then those life patterns went into my working career where I didn't think I was worth anything and people would tell me I'm too vulnerable you're too angry you're too this or so I actually became you know uh unhelpful to anyone even though I did do big things with some of my working positions in the end it would always fall apart I used to ask God sometimes just send me to the desert I'll sit there under a tree and you can you know then I won't hurt anyone because you know, at the end of the day, as I think back now, my primary reason for living um, was to help children not experience what I did. And I never wanted to harm anyone. Yet, as you and I know, hurting people hurt people. Wow. So that's a one harrowing story right there. But you had an aha moment. You had an awakening. Tell us about that. Mm. I had a long period of university life where I was training to be an ordained minister. And um, I got tired of running between therapy sessions, exams, university, shop, you know, it was like I was consistently on the go looking for the solutions in my life. And then one day I saw the text. Um, it's in John 10, 10, if anyone's any one of your brains a Christian. Um, and it said that, you know, the, the, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I've come that you might have abundant life. And I thought, what's abundant about my living? Like, are you kidding me? And I'm even training to be a minister. And so I just thought, I just said to God one day, okay, let's do a deal. You reckon the scriptures say Jesus said this? So let's put it to the test. How do I become abundant? How do I leave the past behind and live how you want me to be? Mm. So that led me into coaching, it, cognitive behavior coaching to start with. Um, and then I found uh, relaxed mindful awareness through neuro coaching. 
And then I became a chaplain in a school. I, I, I was, uh, this was all my training, a chaplain in the prison, chaplain in a psychiatric ward. I never wanted to be left wanting if someone came to me and wanted help. So I went and got all these experiences and skills so that I could help them come out of the trauma that I had experienced. Mm-mm-mm. What led you to Christ? A lot of different mm. directions you could have traveled. Buddhism, Judaism, spirituality, mm. atheism. I mean, you know, because after all that you experienced, mm. I would, uh, I might have a little bone of contention with this person <laughs> called Christ. Yeah. Uh, believe me, uh, someone said to me once, you have an Abrahamic journey with God. And I went, oh, that means I just have to say yes all the time. And he went, no, Grace, that means you have robust conversations with God. Mm. We know if you're troubled by something, you'll go away and work it out with God, scream and shout, and you'll come back and you'll be okay. You'll have worked it out with him. So when I was 10, um, I walked past a church, a bit like John Wesley. I just, it was closed, but there was a sign outside that said, God loves you. Mm. And I felt all warm and I thought, wow, that God in there loves me. So that took me on a path. Um, they were looking for Sunday school teachers and, um, and I put my hand up to do it. And they said, yeah, I was 10. And they said, no, it's for someone to teach you. And I said, I know, but just can I try? Oh, we wow. didn't even have a Bible in the home. But, you know, there was one, uh, so they let me sit it as long as I can guaranteed I wouldn't pester them to teach um and so uh there was one there was one commandment it was on the ten commandments and there was one commandment I couldn't get it was number five and uh, my therapist you know in my 40s said to me do you know what the fifth commandment is I said no I can't remember and he said honor your mother and father that's been a bit difficult for you and I said, yeah. And anyway, I said to, said to God at the time of this thing at 10, I said, if you give me this one, I promise to go to Israel and tell them the only reason they sent Jesus, you sent Jesus was because you loved them. Anyway, I got 100%. I was the only person in the room that got 100%. Mm-hmm. It was so funny. That was at 10. And, of course, my mom wasn't Christian and I wasn't allowed to go to church. And, and then she gave in. And uh, I, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I remember the, you know, the penny in the corner of the handkerchief that was, we used to do those days. It was all a big reason to go to church on Sundays, you know, to pay God what we needed to pay God. Right. Um, but then I fell away as a child, you know, as we all do. And um, I was selected to sing in a choir and my mum had brought in another foster child and she kept crying when for mum to do my dress. Oh, wow. Um, and in the end, I couldn't go and sing in the choir and because uh, the dress wasn't made. And I, I remember my mum saying to me, it's your sister's fault, not mine. And I, I sort of reflected on that a few years back going, you know, that's what started the division in my family was actually my mum turning me against my little baby sister, who, of course, couldn't help crying. Um, But I didn't understand that at the time. So I went away from God. And then at 16, I was we had this big crusade in town, a big tent. And uh, all these bikies came to town. They were called the God Squad. 
So they came to town and I gave my heart to the Lord, got baptised in a big water tank, you know, and then ran a coffee shop for alcoholics. Got right into the Jesus movement and then went to work and things changed because not many people in my workplaces have been in the Jesus movement. Well, you know, and it's a newfound shiny new object for some people. They go full throttle. They don't understand how to syncopate it. They don't know how to take it in bite-sized pieces and absorb it. They just go mm. to the extreme. Mm. That can be detrimental too, because that can be another form of mind control. Absolutely. You're longing, you're longing for something. There's a need for something. You're trying to fill a void. You hear that there's magical spirit in the world that's going to love you unconditionally. You can't do anything wrong, but then you open the text and you fear, you, you know, you start to fear the fire, the brimstone. It's a lot of mixed messages in today's religion. And it has been interpreted and reinterpreted uh, to uh, modify and uh, uh, modify the truth. None of us really know what the deal is until we get to that point. But until we get there, we walk by faith, not by sight. Mm -hmm. And we try to do the very best that we can to be whole, to be happy, to be kind, to honor those Ten Commandments. But I tell you, Grace, that love, that is, I'm telling you, he put that at the top of the list because that unconditional love is work, baby. And again, I agree. to honor thy mother and father. What does that mean? Does that mean to be subservient? Does that mean to be controlled? Does that mean to forgive all of their hurt and pain and indiscretions? What does that mean? For me, it means honor the place they had in your life because at the time that they were maybe not acting in an unconditional way, they were doing the best they can they did the best they could have because of their home life and i think for me that's where i settle with it she didn't know any different sure she could have gone and got help she could have done a lot of things but she didn't she did the best she could in the moment and so therefore i'm i'm able now to honor her as my foster mother okay so did you ever reconnect with your biological mother? You know, you said she pushed you away, but did you ever reconnect with that? Ooh, yes, all the time. I, I, I would try all the time because I sort of felt like if I was loved by my real mother or father, I never knew who my father was, but if I was loved by them, I would feel whole or I would be considered something in society because back then, if you were an illegitimate born baby you were still called a bastard in Australia so I was a bastard yeah so I I never felt even my real mother would say I remember you know when I went to her place my sisters my older sisters were were getting confirmed um in another tradition and I said oh can I come I was all excited that I was home on the day my sisters were getting confirmed and she said no you're a foster child you you can't go to things where proper kids go to and I was shattered, shattered. One day she was a cleaner at a school, at a Catholic school. And, um, and my foster mother, I, my foster mother had an issue about 
punishment. And she said to me that when I came home from school this day, she said, I hadn't acted good enough for her. So she was taking me up to my real mother at the school for her to do the discipline because she'd given up on me. So up we go to the school where my mother was the cleaner. You can see it as clear as day. And she takes me, my real mother takes me up and there was a landing, you know, at the top of the, because there was a two-story school. It's still there today. And uh, there's a big picture of Jesus, uh, like, you know, seven or eight foot at the top of the stairs. And she took me up and belted me in front of that painting and said, not even Jesus can love you, you're so evil. So I had all these frameworks that were around me that places me in the place of the devil, practically, rather than uh, being with a God who actually loved me. I, um, uh, yeah, saint and sinner, I basically was the sinner all the time. That's how they framed my legacy of being on the earth. Mm. That's heavy. That, that, that. <sighs> oh, it's horrible. Um, and sorry, I should have told you, trauma alert. Um, um, I, you know, I remember when I was 13, I came home from school and my mum said it was time for a belting. I was standing at the fridge getting some food. And I said, but mum, I haven't done anything. I just got home. And she said, that's just in case you, just in case you do something next week. So she took me into the bedroom, had my brother at the door. He had a stopwatch. She said 20 minutes. So she had an iron cord. She just whipped me for 20 minutes. And then he came in and she said, oh, I want another five minutes. Kept going until I just collapsed on the floor. And then eventually the next door neighbours rang the child services department and they came out one Sunday morning in the middle of the whipping and they took me away. I was 13 before someone came to help me. All right, let's move on to something riveting. Yeah. Like you've taken all of this. You've mm. worked with young people. You work with prison inmates. You've got a testimony. And you got a beautiful smile. How did you get involved in that type of work? Basically unconditional loving. I just wanted to show the prisoners and anyone who'd had a tough life that there was life worth living for and that they were worthy of it, no matter what they'd done. We all have tough days. We all do things we don't want to do. And I, I was speaking to a high court judge one day uh, who became a dear friend and he said to me, Grace, there has never been anyone before me that has not been redeemable. And I took that on. You know, I just wanted to love everyone so they knew a loving God and he was prepared to walk with them through the journey of healing. That's why I do what I do. And you do it expeditiously. And you do it with an open heart. And it looks like no, no resentment. Healing, that is magic. To forgive is magic. Um, and it's heartwarming. It really, really is. I don't know where I would be. Some people would have just completely unplugged and just said, you know what? The hell with this noise. It's not worth it but you chose to forge ahead. Hmm. Tell us a little bit about your program and tell us a little bit about the art of 
um, becoming. Okay. One of the things that I learned throughout working with people who've had trauma, we can talk about little traumas, big traumas, all sorts of traumas. I had a graphic artist one day. Uh, he's given me permission to tell his story from England. And uh, he couldn't, he just couldn't do his business right. He kept going round and round in circles. And so I just asked him a couple of questions and we found out from that when he, he was with some Salvation Army parents and he loved them. He said they never did anything wrong. But after some working through his brain, we found out that when he was a little baby, they had got a babysitter in to look after him when they went to dinner. Now, I don't know if you know, you probably because you, you do a lot of podcasts. So a child learns how to trust by the parent going away and then coming back. And he remembers sitting behind this door when they left, just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing because he didn't know if they're coming back. And I was able to eliminate, take out the that stressful energy, the not knowing, the confusion. And after that, he was, I've never seen him since. He's gone on and done his business very successfully. So trauma can mean many things to many people. What I found is once you go through the healing stage and I go deep with the healing stage, I go into the depths of what our brain networks can do for us if we understand how they work. I talk about, I give people various roles, some belief systems and find out from them what are the negative beliefs that they've made up about themselves throughout their childhood and adulthood. I do a special thing that not many, I don't know anyone else who does it called DNA, where I, I let the client just sit and we, and their intuition will lead them to something in their life that they can't get over. You know, they've tried with willpower and everything. And I just use the, their brain networks to take the energy out of stuff that's happened previously. Because I don't know if you know, if, a, if your brains know that when there's a traumatic incident in someone's heritage, in someone's, you know, past, if I've had um, the slave trade from Jamaica, I've had all sorts of people. Um, if they've been traumatized, which we all know they were, that traumatization changes the DNA of the following generations. And, and so genomics, epigenetics, absolutely. Yeah. So I take out the energy out of that original, uh, incident and people, you know, victimhood energies that, um, I had one client who came out, his family came out on the second ship to Australia from England. So he had this thing about, he kept buying companies, not doing well, just kept buying them. And so he had a thing internally that was always the grass is greener on the other side mm. because his heritage was leaving England. But when they got here, it was an uncivilized country. It was just bush. So they had to make it their joy. So it was very, very concerning for him that he kept having this always greener at the other side. So I was able to take the energy out of that. So one of the things that when you do healing work, many of my clients were then saying to me, now how do I know how to live? Like, I don't know how to live. I've had that all right. my life, you know. Right. You got a new reality. Absolutely. So my second level, healing is the first level. The second level is becoming transformed. And that's all about 
going through our needs, um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Tony Robbins' character needs, personality needs, looking at our spiritual needs, looking at 10 sets of values, because with values, if we're not living our values, we're actually causing moral injury to our hearts and our souls. That's what the the veterans, we're having a big Royal Commission into vet suicide over here at the moment. And, um, and I was asked to go and be trained by the Defence Force in moral injury. So I did that. And now, so now I've worked a program where people can discern their values and actually now put in boundaries and ways of living from their own values and soul rather than the trauma that's happened to them. So it's like giving them a new identity. Emotions, their primal emotions, you know, what, what, there's seven primal emotions. What is it about me getting angry? How do I understand that? How do I want to feel? I actually help them decide and make a choice how they want to feel during their anger embracing it and how do I feel and they can tell the difference it's quite amazing to see people go through the exercise and say I didn't know I had those choice you know it's like me I used to think I had these compulsions to get angry especially with someone who had been in pain or even suicided you know but now I don't have any of that left anymore because I've been able to embrace it and work out and choose what what do I want to do with these emotional feelings and that's what I did. When I turned 60 years old, I had an awakening. I woke up that morning and I said, you know what, April? It's how you respond. Hmm. I should have knew this 20, 40 years ago. You have a choice, but it comes with a certain maturity and also a certain vulnerability. You're willing, you're willing just to stand naked in front of the world hmm. and be vulnerable and say, here I am, hear me roar, you know? Exactly. Or, I have to say, girl, 60? You're over 60? I'm 61. I'm 61. Oh, my gosh. You're <laughs> awesome. Moisturizer, no? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But I, yeah, I can so say this. On, on the flip side of this, I can say this. Um, and I say this humbly and not disrespectful to anybody that's been trauma. But I've never had any of that in my life. So this is an aha moment for me. I grew up with a stepfather that loved and honored and respected me. You know, there was challenges, you know, but for the mm. most part, no trickery, no funny business. I had a mother that absolutely adored me. She was, she died here in my home. I've been married to a man for 39 years that I love the breeze that keeps him cool. I've got the best relationship with my daughter. Um, you know, life is just, so when I hear my guests come with their stories and these horrific things that have happened to them. I thank God three, four times a day because mm -hmm. this particular journey, this walk that I'm walking, I'm walking on a cloud. I tell people, if anything happens to me, baby, don't cry for me, Argentina, because I'm living my best life. And I want everyone to be able to experience love. But a lot of times, Grace, people don't even know what love is. I don't know what it is to be without love. So mm -hmm. it's very different for me. I'm very empathetic, but I don't want to be putting a person, uh, I, I don't want it to be pathetic. I want to be mm -hmm. able to look at you and honor you and work with you and support you and encourage you and give you what I have, um, but not from an arrogance point of view, 
but from a learning and from a tenderness. And sometimes that's hard because again, you got to feel the feels. You got to feel the fear, mm-hmm. yet do it anyway. And it's a yes. lot of work. It's a lot of work. So I'm telling you, you are my shero. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Because not only did you not give up or give in, but now you're pouring in at a high level. Yes. So what do you do for yourself for fun when you are not taking on the woes of other folks? What do you yeah. do for Grace Reynolds to have a good time? Okay, so I can tell you that out, outside my window is a beautiful river and the view. Uh, I've got uh, countryside, mountains and a river in front of me. Wow. I just adore it. That takes away every ill every i just sometimes i go for a drive just to see it it's just i can see it now but i still go for a drive just to be near it it is just the most beautiful view i'll drive up i'll go to beach point i'll do you know many things that keeps me in nature i i love nature i love the animals we have a massive amount of kangaroos around here that you know jump out about them kangaroos when i came to australia i'm scared (laughs) of them boogers Oh, yeah. You know, I call myself feeding and sticking my hand out. You don't play. They're in control. They are absolutely. You are very. Yes. Are Are you married? Do you have children? Um, No, unfortunately, because of the uh, abuse I suffered as a child, my ovaries were too damaged. My tubes and that were too damaged. So I can't. But you are a mother to so many. I am. (laughs) So many, which is wonderful. So let's ask some fun questions. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be? A yellow car, a sedan, and one that loves trucking along the highway with everyone singing in me. Oh, goodness. What kind of music do you like? Uh, Jazz, some orchestral, and uh, praise and worship songs. Oh, do you like good gospel music? I do. I'm a Don Moen fan. I have him blaring all day long. Okay. Well, I'm going to send you, uh, I'm going to get your address. I'm going to send you a really beautiful gospel tape that'll just, you'll just play oh, until thank you warp. It's really good. I uh, thank you. Okay. If you were an appliance in the kitchen, what appliance would you be? Oh. Wow. I'll tell you what came up for me then. You know those old frying pans? You know, you, you the electric ones that you put. Uh, I don't know if you had them in America, but anyway, we have these electric frying pans that you, yeah, you put it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I thought, why am I seeing that? And then I realized you can fry me baby as much as you want, as long as you get healed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm kind of in the same vein. I'm trying to thought. I want to be a air fryer. Oh yes. Because you use little grease. It gets crispy, it's juicy, and it's easy mm-hmm. to clean. <laughs> <laughs> I must go and get one. If you were an animal, what animal would you be? This is the weirdest thing, but I'm going to say kangaroo. But I'm going to say kangaroo because they have uh, arms to hug you with. Mm. And they've got a pouch for their joey. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they do. I'd be a party animal. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'd love I used to, to be that. that when I was thinking. I love yeah. that. And um, 
before we close, I just want to mm. ask you. I'm getting kind of teared up here because I noticed as I talked to you in this interview, you really take great care uh, in the words that you choose in the mm. space that you're settling in. It's a lot of thought, a lot of memories, but also a lot of hope and possibilities. I thank you for that. Um, and it's really touched yeah. my heart. It really, really has. What do you want your legacy to be, Grace Reynolds? A happier, more contented world in the peace that they live internally and with each other. That's a big ask. Mm. That's why I do a lot of work. But that's why our guy can do it. And there's a lot of stuff yeah. going on in the world right now. Again, uh, during COVID, I had my come to Jesus meeting several times. And mm. I thank him for the life that he's given me right now. And I thank him for bringing this podcast um, so I can share people's story and their testimony that I can carry them through this conduit so that we can get to the next level. Grace, if you don't believe, you better start. You don't have to believe in what me and Grace believe, but know that there is something bigger and better outside of the superficial meat suit that we mm -hmm. live in, okay, called the human body. Grace, tell my uh, brains how to get in contact with you, work with you, get some love from you. <laughs> my email is grace at mindful neurocoaching so it's one word m-i-n-d-f-u-l neurocoaching n-u sorry n-e-u-r-o c-o-a-c-h-i-n-g dot com that's my email i have a facebook page called mindful neurocoaching and right now i'm just marketing for a challenge to have the whole healing level free so that's if you go to mindful neuro coaching the link to join the facebook group to experience that whole first level free is there it's working well today Grace, reach out and and touch i'm going to see what the schedule is like i just like to be in the room i just like to feel your okay. presence and your embrace because again to whom much is given much is required much. Man. absolutely yep. Thank you, Brains. Go in, handle your business. All Grace's information is going to be at the back part of the interview and in the show notes. Uh, I need you to love, like, share, and subscribe. Handle your business. Get well. Heal. It's not over till it's over. Okay? All right. Thank you, Grace. Thank you. Bless you and bless all your brains. Mightily, always, and in always. Mm -hmm. Bye, Brains. Thank you. Bye. Bye.